You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined on this fine Friday morning by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? Hi, Dave. It is a fine morning. I think, I you know... <laughs> you're a UCLA fan I mean not necessarily this morning after that basketball game but you know what sometimes you just gotta wake up and decide say you know what the fuck might as well be happy yeah I'm breathing this is great yeah risky Uh, business right you ever see that movie yeah Yeah. Yeah. what the fuck make a move yep um so uh there's there's quite a bit to talk about um basketball obviously um hasn't been, hasn't been a good stretch here. And then we're also going to talk about the football uh, staff moves and what we're still anticipating. But we wanted to lead off with basketball, um, you know, kind of get the uh, the bitter pill out of the way. Uh, UCLA has lost three straight. Uh, they, had, they lost a competitive uh, game to Utah where they played much of a piece with how they played over the winning streak and just were on the wrong side of a last-minute shot. Then they uh, played with absolutely zero energy and focus against USC, lost by six at home. And then that continued with a game that uh, was most similar to the road loss to Utah earlier this year, except UCLA shot a little bit better, so it wasn't quite as bad. Uh, But defensively, um, last night's loss to Washington was, for my money, the worst performance of the Cronin era. Uh, defensively. Um, I, I, I think it was worse than Utah. I think it was worse than uh, pretty much anything that first year too. Uh, no effort, no focus, and guys not closing out on shooters, collapsing down on drivers and leaving just wide open shot after wide open shot. Guys not following the scouting report in any way. Uh, just a complete miserable mess. Uh, what the heck is happening? Yeah, well, you you pretty much summed it up right there. Um, I mean, the only reason it wasn't a 35, 40-point blowout is because Washington isn't as good as Utah. <laughs> um, and they played no defense either. In and the last they didn't, like, 10 yeah. minutes, they didn't play a lick of defense. Right, That yeah, UCLA's offense was better against Washington because Washington's defense is, is not good. Uh, it was really... A, yeah, let's just say first, it, it was a horrible defensive game, but it was it was kind of bizarre. Uh, I don't remember it being like this against Utah. Uh, against Washington, it just seemed like the team, their brains were turned off. Yeah. It was bizarre. I, I mean, uh, uh, Washington moves the ball around. There's a little bit of penetration. 
you know they're kicking it out and guys just standing and watching and it wasn't even their body language wasn't like i'm giving up their body language was oops i mean like they were in a fog yeah. collectively and what they did against how they defended the pick and roll was the worst defense of a pick and roll that i can remember ever having to look at and analyze it was at every so level bad. At, so you've got uh, bona out there hard hedging way too hard but then you have nobody literally nobody trying to bump the roller at all nobody's tagging him uh nobody's rotating over just complete uh and then so, and then uh, bona like a, and then bona hanging out like he's supposed to stay on the ball yeah like he well, didn't was, like he's looking back and no one uh, i mean braxton mia <laughs> had to be laughing for a guy who's seven three he had more room around him i mean there were times like when he started to roll, there was so much time and space. He looked surprised. And this, I, and and Bona didn't ever try to rotate back, which I don't the, know what that was. I really the, don't know what that amount, was. The amount of uncontested dunks this team gives up, even when they are playing defense well, is kind of astonishing. Um, like in the half court, you don't often see guys at the rim from the opposing team with no one around them, like within six feet. But that it seems to happen a lot with this team, especially in the last two games against USC. It was happening too. Um, they they just give up a lot of uncontested dunks and layups, and it's. I think some of it is bonus aggression. I think he believes a little bit too much in his athletic ability to recover from like a very very high position. But, but he didn't top, even try to recover, Dave. He stood there. I, I didn't. There, there was something tactically wrong there because he was either trying to do something or he was not being told to get back or what. But the thing was, he kept he kept being frustrated after those plays and talking to other guys. And I don't know if that's just finger pointing or if there was something with this game plan that other guys were screwing up because it didn't. I, I can't seem... think. I can't think that the staff would want anyone who's six four six five six six to have to rotate on to braxton maya I, yeah. I just can't see that that would be a tactical move and, I, and then there was the secondary rotation yeah like you pick him up when he rolls but then you, there's someone else under the basket and they were way late no but there was, was rotating there was no. a there was a miss there was a, a there something was not and it was really bad in the first half and i thought They'll get this fixed in the in at halftime. It didn't happen as much, but it happened a, a couple more. There was one in the second half. I think it was like with seven minutes left, where Braxton Maya had so much time and space. Yeah, it was it was phenomenal. And then no, UCLA yeah. went on a mini run with Burke and Brandon Williams playing the four and the five, if I'm remembering correctly. And that was mostly because Braxton Mia was out of the game too. Well, and yeah. also, but as soon as Bona came back in the game, they threw Mia back in there. And because of the way Bona was, whatever they were trying to do, I don't know if it was Bona or if tactically, whatever, whatever they were trying to do with Bona, uh, Washington immediately started scoring again. Like it was just, uh, okay, light switch back on it was um just i'm mean, stunning blown coverages and so that's that's one pick and roll defense was bad 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 and and by itself probably would have uh resulted in a loss but then there was like so there'd be like a little bit of dribble penetration 
and four guys would collapse to the rim and then immediately kick out. And whoever was on Keon Brooks most of the time was Barricade Buyukdunjil. Uh, he was also among the guys collapsing, and it would just leave a wide-open shooter from three. The amount of wide-open three-pointers in this game, I'm, you would you would have to be an untalented team to not have scored at least 80. And Washington, not a well-coached team, not a good defensive team, but they do have a couple of talented scorers. Um, even Severe Wheeler, who's not a shooter, if you give him those kind of looks – He's going to bang a couple. Um, it was I, Bra- uh, uh, Keon Brooks. I wrote this, and I I wasn't really being facetious. That was the most effortless, easiest thirty-two points ever scored by a human being. Yeah. I don't think he even had a move most most of the time. He w- didn't look like he was sweating. Uh, I mean, that was phenomenal. How easy those thirty-two points were. He had um, he had he had 18 points from the three point line, most of which were wide open, and he had 10 of his points from the free throw line. So only four of his 32 points came on what you might consider a tougher shot, where he had to go into the lane or do something in the paint or whatever. And uh, his threes were so wide open, ridiculous. It was like they they had no idea that that guy could shoot. You know, it, you know, he's the leading scorer in the pack. I just wanted to make sure every he's, he's the leading almost, scorer. Okay, but like he's shooting almost forty percent from three too. Like you yeah. cannot, you can never leave him. You have to constantly be on him. Um, this is one where like that one I do believe is firmly a player issue. Where Berke, he's been bad on defense pretty much all year, um, and this just feels like focus, N- zero focus on what the assignment is here because there there couldn't have been a world where Mick Cronin was like, you know what? Our defensive game plan is to leave Keon Brooks uh, when there's dribble penetration and to help down low. Yeah, um, it was it was really seriously. I don't remember this feeling after Utah. I, to me, the, the game got out of hand. Utah got out of hand, and there was general lack of effort. It wasn't like this. It no, this wasn't was... Wa- this, this was, was much worse. A, much a worse. team-wide brain fog, which was, I don't, I, I can't, you know, are we going to ch- chalk this up to, they were, they, okay, so they struggled. They, beginning of the season, they were kind of trying to put it together, and then they hit that, I wouldn't call it a lull, it was much worse than that. Then they get together and go eight and what, eight and one, right? Yeah. So it it might be a, a situation where it took all of their effort to get them back for that streak. And then the Utah loss, the USC, and now maybe this is all they have. They are a young team. They're not used to sustaining a really high level of energy throughout um, a season. Plus, you know, we, we don't know who these guys are. I mean, are they Cronin, tough-ass kind of guys who keep coming back for more regardless? Right now, you know, UCLA fans are talking about, is it appropriate that Mick Cronin basically post-game or in any other interview is saying this is a tryout for next year? I mean, this this is the way he wants to run his program, and this is the way he finds guys. Now, are there a lot of guys who can play for him? No. Are there a lot of guys who who 
think this is like what he's saying is appropriate or do they want to live with it or play for it? No. Will it find him some dudes? Probably. And that's the only way he can coach. He needs some dogs. And he's trying to find out if any of the guys on this team are going to come back next year, are going to work their ass off and get better and are physically and mentally tough and come back to try to win a national championship next year. Yeah, I, I think I, the the approach can be off-putting, but I know what he's doing and it's him and it's his style. I I, I kind of get it. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I, I don't love it. I think there's better ways to do it, but I get it. Um, the... I think this, I mean, if we're, we're trying to diagnose things, I think the Utah game, you know, I wrote it at the end of that recap, but um, real test of the mental toughness of a young team to lose a tough game, like to again, get back to the well of what was happening in November of you played, you played really well and you were just on the wrong end of a thing. Um, how do you respond to that? And I think the first 15 minutes of that USC game where they responded really poorly Here's this is one where I'm like pure speculative fiction, but they they closed that first half five minutes really really well, um, but then they came out complete dud in the second half, and it makes you wonder what was what was the message in that locker room? You know, thinking of again Mick Cronin emphasizing toughness and all that kind of intensity thing, was it positive? Hey, you guys closed that first half really well. That's the way you need to play in the second half, or was it? Why did you guys come out looking like that? That's that's how you looked in practice all week. You're going to lose this game unless you guys pull your heads out. Um, this team, and I, I I agree with you. I think it's um, six of one, half a dozen of the other. But this team isn't um, like mentally tough in the way last year's team was, or the year before, the year before that. Um, but I, I think. I think there's a, a sense of being very reactive to results on the floor. Uh, when this team won eight of nine, we were talking about the dogs and we were talking about, Oh, they've got some guys. So oh, these guys could make it work. And now they've lost three in a row. Um, and Cronin too is talking about, you know, back to the same things he was saying in early January. And that's not to say that's wrong, but what changed? Because for, for nine games there, he was talking like, well, we might have a chance to win the Pac-12. Like he was saying, I'll get back to me in, you know, late February and that sort of stuff. I, I think it's easy what changed. They can't sustain it. The players well, aren't sustaining it. So they didn't, they didn't sustain it. They didn't sustain it. But that's not that's that's a different word than can't. Right. And that change but that changes things in your opinion of the team is that they didn't sustain it. I but mean, the, your opinion of these players is different now than it was two weeks ago. But given, this, is, this is where... I mean, is your opinion of Bearcade different now than it was two or three weeks ago? No. Mine is. Mine is. For, for him, not really. No. My mine, mine is. Three games ago. I, I still um, think he has a chance to be a very, a very good player, but I, I don't know. I think he's... I don't think he's completely checked in to this i don't think I don't he's dedicated think, to making himself a good college basketball player at this point i guess my point and this is like kind of a, a broader point and it's um cronin has a saying you know you've got to be able to um do a lot of different dances you got to be able to dance a lot of different ways and that's true for a team but it's also true for a coach um and this team isn't it's not the like pure tough ass 
whatevers of the last few years, it's different. So can can you adjust to uh, being a little softer on them, being a little bit like, hey, guys, you know, good way to close out that first half against USC, but we need to sustain this in the second half. Here's what we're going to do, like that sort of stuff. And I don't – I didn't like it in early January when he's publicly uh, excoriating the team and talking about guys getting their scholarships pulled. I don't – I didn't love that last night. You do that stuff privately. Like that stuff – like if you got to do your roster construction stuff, do it in the offseason. Like that yeah, stuff. I agree with that. Maybe not doing it publicly, but I think it should be done. Yeah, I mean, yeah. all that stuff might need to happen. Um, yeah. I think you know, I, I and, or January, or on a podcast like you and I should do it. Yes, we should do it. Um, yeah, and that's we'd what be we'll good do at it. We'd be good yeah. at it. Well, um, we'll do it right now when you're done with this next comment. Well, no, what I was going to say is at the beginning of January or end of December, whenever we were writing kind of our state of the program things, where it was like, hey got to kind of buy into these guys and and they'll buy into you and then it looked like that was working for nine games and then suddenly it isn't again um it is a different feel at the end of a season than it is the middle point um and i do think ucla has a quite a bit more information about who these guys are and and what they do and also how they work with mick cronin um because i think there's like you know, we, we talk about the self-selection narrative and people give us kind of crap for it. Like, oh, this is just excuse making. And like, no, it's not. Like in our, in the ideal world, uh, UCLA would be able to draw from a broad pool of talent. Um, and they've got John Wooden as their head coach and it's just pure joy and, and you know, pancakes all the time. Uh, but it's not that. Uh, Mick Cronin is a tough guy to play for. Um, and the results can be very good if he has the right collection of players, but he's a tough guy to play for. Um, and yeah. so that, that self-selection thing is just the reality of it where guys need to be completely bought in to playing for a tough ass. Yeah. Um, and if they're not, it's not going to look very good. Yeah. There, there are, I'm glad you said that about the self-selection thing because, what what fans want is this ideal scenario. Coach is an excellent coach. Great X's nose. Uh, they not only play elite defense, they get up and down and run. They average 88 points a game. And it's um, Kumbaya. Kumbaya, great recruiter. Uh, he's a player's coach. All the recruits, he goes after five stars, and they all love him. Um, Kumbaya. Uh, um there name the coaches in the country that fit all those factors. Uh, I mean, they kind of don't exist. And what we're doing with you all here is we're bringing you behind the curtain. So you, you get all of, uh, you see how the sausage is made. Um, and you're going to see the warts in the sausage. I mean, this is, this is how it is. So instead of wanting the ideal, um, you have to take the bad with the good. Would do I? This is not making an excuse for Mick Cronin. I, I think this roster in this season is on Mick Cronin, and he's pretty much admitted that too. That he made some mistakes in recruiting. Uh, I think he'll admit it. Um, I, I I would say right now his coaching, what he's doing to work with the players he has. I don't think it's I don't think I find that much fault with it, but he made the mistake of putting this team together and he's trying to coach them as well as he can. So I, I don't find that much fault 
with his coaching of them, but I do, and he will too, find fault with the team he put together. And I believe he will learn lessons from this. He's um, got to know his guys better than this. Um, and that's the thing is put all of it together. The self-selection, Mick Cronin being a tough ass, and him having to coach a certain way. Like this is the coach he is. So let's all deal with the realities of the situation. Well, given all of those realities, he cannot recruit unknowns. And that's not to say that like the international players were complete unknowns. They, they did evaluate them. They did see them. But they didn't see them the way you see domestic prospects. They didn't, they didn't watch that number of games in person. They didn't do that level of evaluation that goes into recruiting domestically. And, and just yeah, and just on that just point, that many opportunities. Yeah. On that point, too, the bigger mistake was not more than just the evaluation of the players, was the conclusion that you could bring in seven freshmen and eight new players. And there could be a relatively seamless transition to playing for McCrona. You you can't do that. You need it's tough to play for Mick. You need a group of veterans. When when a when a freshman comes in and he hits the wall, right? And he hits and you're an international, you're a foreign player, and you come in, you're hitting a huge wall because you're yeah. acclimating to living in a whole new country, other language, going to school. So even if you're an American recruit and you come in you're hitting a wall playing for mccronin it's usually three guys four yeah you've got a whole team worth of veterans that you know jaime Hawkes, tiger campbell coming up to you go hey man just buy in it's gonna work just trust this trust the process they don't have guys doing that these this is a collective group of kids who are all going what the hell is going on here that's the bigger issue yeah um so that some of the players that we're seeing, that some of the play that we're getting from some of these guys, it they don't have that mentoring of veterans that you need in a Mick Cronin program. As I said, I think he he will learn. I think he's going to go huge into the the transfer portal, and what he will be looking for are just let's let's just say two dogs, two veteran guys. There might be more talented guys out there in the transfer portal, but two tough asses that will be able to play for him, that will be able to sustain a whole season, that will be able to pull along all the younger guys, lead and be tough leaders for Mick Cronin. Guys that he can trust, that he can put out on the court and are going are gonna to play their asses off and sustain effort. I, I think that's what he'll be looking for. If yeah. I'm, I'm segueing this into a, a talk about the roster, is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> is there? Did you want to add more? Well, I was just going to say um, when we were talking midseason about um, uh, how it wouldn't be much different bringing in eight new guys, no matter if they were freshmen or transfers at that point, because there's an adjustment period. But I think you can look at the play of Lazar Stefanovic over the last two months to see what the value would have been in in bringing in more transfers because once he got with the program, he already has the kind of baseline. I've been in college basketball. I know what the rhythms of a season are like. And so he's not hitting a wall. He had like one bad shooting stretch for a couple of games, but then he was pretty good last night again. Um, you, If you had more of those guys, you'd probably have a season that looked a little bit more like again, 2019, 2020 instead of what this one is turning into, which is, you know, he kept he analogized it to his um, 
Murray State second year, I think in uh, either this week or last week um, in his press conference. Um, and that, yeah, it looks like a complete rebuild and not, you know, something that's going to make any kind of run now. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Anyway, let's transition to roster yeah. construction. Yeah, so we uh, so we can talk about it. Maybe we take issue with McCronin talking about it publicly, but you and I certainly we can. can. Do it. Yeah, um, I think it is a tryout. I think there are things that you want to see from a from a player, and a lot of it is just not effort, but it's like closing off the season, finishing the season with effort and focus, and who's who's prepared to do that. Um, so right now, this is another part of the test where you're evaluating these guys, and we're seeing it too. Um, uh, it starts with a Dembona. Now, I'm having discussions with some people, friends of mine, Bruin fans, and they're texting me during the game, and he said, so do we want a Dembona to come back? <laughs> and I, and after a lot of analysis, I I believe, yes, you do. Um, because uh, the point we were making playing for Mick Cronin is not necessarily easy, but if you can do it, it's a, he will optimize and get the most out of you. I would rather have third year a Dembona who's been in the system in Mick Cronin system for two years, than roll the dice with another post transfer post player at this point, unless of course it's like one of the most amazing post players in, in the country, but Let's say maybe a little bit better skill wise uh, than a Dembona. I'll still take it. I'll still take a Dembona. Yeah. Now, I think it, now it's, it's, wait, just to finish it, is he, is his NIL value kind of dipping now? Probably. Will, will he be a little bit more affordable? Probably for UCLA to retain? Probably. You'd have to think his, NF, his NBA draft uh, stock is kind of plummeting too. So, in a way, it's kind of all good. Um, but I, I, so starting with the Dembona, I think, you know, you retain him and you bring him back, even though it's the last few games have been very frustrating watching him. I mean, he had a double, double last night and that was a, not a good game that he played. Yeah. I would say, uh, Bona, um, you take him back over pretty much any other post, um, Again, like what you said, maybe if there's like a surefire second year, third year NBA guy, but I don't think those guys exist or are going in the portal. Uh, it's it's Bona, um, and you don't have to go too far back into the history to find Bona. 
being an integral part of a very good team last year. Uh, his injury more or less foreclosed the opportunity for that team to win a national championship because he was playing like one of the best players on the team uh, towards the end of that uh, stretch. Um, if he's the part of what's going on with a Dem from my perspective is he is trying to make up for everyone and trying to win basketball games on single plays. He is trying, his problem is not effort. His problem may be focus at times. His problem may be, you know, uh, adhering to the game plan last night. Again, I don't know the circumstances of what was happening there. He was pointing a lot of fingers. And I, the, the, the fact that nobody was even bumping the roll man makes me think that there were some major breakdowns happening. But uh, Adem brings effort, brings toughness. Um, and last year when he was a piece of a lot of different a piece of a very good team, he was great to have. And I think next year, maybe he's one of the primary pieces, but he needs another couple of guys around him who are going to shoulder some of the load. And Dylan Andrews maybe becomes that guy, but um, it's not consistent yet. And Lazar Stefanovic, I think in an ideal world, is probably your really, really tough sixth guy um, where he's not... Uh, having to shoulder a huge amount of the scoring load because I think that gets in his head a little bit. It's not his ideal way of playing. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with all. Um, You know, in my discussions with my friends, <laughs> the discussion is, I mean, you usually assume that every year someone gets better. A damn bone has gotten, has gotten better since his freshman year. He, um, I think he played better this year. There were, it's a lot, like you said, to step into a major role, there are going to be spotlights on different parts of your game, but I think he's a better player now than he was last, last year. Um, the question is, does he continue to get better? What's his ceiling? Does he have natural limitations on that scene? I think he, even if his ceiling isn't huge, isn't really high, he will still get better. So I, I think, I think you retain a Dembona. I don't think that should be a question. Um, and then after that, I, I know before last night's game, uh, in the last two, because the last two games, people started questioning Dylan Andrews again uh, after he went on a great tear. He was named Pac-12 Player of the uh, Week when he averaged 21 points a game. Um, I know he, he played really well in a couple of those games. And last night, when your defense is breaking down around you. The team is breaking down. They're they're arguing over tactically who should do what. I, I mean, not only did he play a really superb offensive game, he did play a pretty decent defensive game too. He was uh, back. I, it, Wow. I, I mean, to do that, it's easy to do that when your team's rolling and you're blowing someone out by 18. But when you're getting blown yourself to play a game like this and you keep it together. And that, it's not easy to do that on severe Wheeler. Like that's wow, that severe Wheeler him. is so damn fast. Yeah. It's really bizarre. And to be able, he kept him to 11 points. I yeah. mean, if he hadn't thrown in that, that three was crazy. That was awesome. <laughs> that really was awesome. Um, I think Dylan Andrews is an integral part of this team going forward. I, I think he, I think it's obvious to say he can get better. He can get more consistent, but there aren't, 
people compare him to Tiger Campbell, and I get it. Tiger Campbell as a sophomore was getting better. Dylan Andrews is a better sophomore, as better as a sophomore than Tiger Campbell was. Tiger, because I'm looking at both. Tiger Campbell was never a lockdown defender. They had a scheme around Tiger Campbell's yeah. defense. So I think Dylan Andrews, no brainer to keep unless one of your dogs is a lead guard who is, I mean, a ridiculously good player and calls you up and says, I want to come to UCLA and I don't want much that much NIL money. Then you might consider taking him and putting the ball in his hand and hoping Dylan Andrews stays, but risking that he wouldn't. Yeah, I think the big thing with Andrews, it's he is – this is the difference between him and Tiger is Tiger was always tougher than hell. Um, and I think Dylan Andrews has some of that, but I do think there's a confidence problem that keeps cropping up with him. Um, you'll see it in game. Like even last night, he played really, really well, but there was still an upside to his performance that's untapped because there was one play uh, in the second half where he starts doing speed dribbles um, out over the, uh, like at the top of the three point line and just takes his guy, like just purely off the dribble bounces around him, pulls up from basically the free throw line and buries the, the, the jumper. And it's like, he could do that every single play with his quickness. Like he can, t- if he's manned up and there is no help coming, he can take his guy off the dribble every single time if he wants to, and he's got to want to. He's got to. He's got to understand. I can do that. I need to have the athletic arrogance to do it. Because once you do that, everything breaks down. I mean, a big part of why the offense looked better in the second half against Washington was Washington not playing any defense. But a lot of it was also Dylan Andrews finally putting the whole team on his shoulders and saying, "Hey, I'm going to do this." Um, I, I want to see more of that. But I agree with you. I mean, I think. I think people, again, you, you get, and I think this is the danger that I'm wanting to, to caution against for um, our, uh, uh, our our friend Mick. Um, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because you've done a lot of development work on Dylan Andrews this year, and you're starting to realize some of the benefits of that. Um, and yes, he has, he has games where it looks off or he's not playing particularly well. And if he's shooting really poorly, sometimes that infects other aspects of his game. But over the last like month and a half, he's shown so much um, from a defensive standpoint. And then with that ability to break guys down and hit those mid-range jumpers that you, you don't want to lose that. Uh, and you don't want to lose that because you're recruiting over him. Um, maybe if maybe if somebody wants to call and, and do the whole thing, but even then... Uh, I, I would caution against somebody who's been in the system and who who understands exactly what's going to be asked because even with a veteran, there's going to be an adjustment. Yeah, it's it's funny because you you really hit on something. There's so much more upside with him. Yeah, he's not asserting himself. No, he's got freakish quickness and his freakish. He, there was one explosion of the basket last night where he put it in another gear and got to the basket so quickly, no one could rotate back to even come close to blocking his shot and his, oh. he's, he's got a great handle i mean it's getting so it's gotten so much better in the last year um don't lose that as as a sophomore from three he is out shooting tiger campbell yeah he's shooting 28 29 tiger campbell shot 25 so 
Yeah, that whole bathwater thing. Um, I, you know, coaches, and I'm not going to say this about this staff, uh, but I know in general, coaches are highly reactionary. They have a guy who's playing well for a few games. They love him. Guy who doesn't play well for a couple of more games, they go, ah, can't wait for him to leave. I mean, <laughs> so yeah. you're right. Uh, I, I think, you know, uh, unless one of the most, uh, an elite point guard calls him up and says, I want to come. And it's not going to, and I'm, I don't want a million dollars or not. Because remember, let's say you get an elite point guard and he wants to come, but he wants a million dollars in mm-hmm. NIL. That wipes out so many more slots in your roster. Paying someone 250 to 300,000 is a lot for NIL. That's on the higher end at this point right now in the market. Um, it's not a lot, but it's on the higher end. If you pay someone a million dollars, you are probably getting it. You are conservatively taking away two starters, (laughs) two other starters to get this one guy. That's the market right now. Million dollars should get you three starters, at least two. So I, I would, I just would caution against, against looking for a point guard. I know people think, He's not a natural point guard. He's getting better at passing the ball. It's also kind of a different, it's a different offense. It's a different game. Like if you're comparing him to Tiger Campbell than it was just a few, a few years ago. Okay. So we've done that. The third guy, the third and fourth guy are Lazar Stefanovic and Sebastian Mack. I think Lazar Stefanovic is, is a really highly valuable guy for this team for next season. Uh, He's proven it over the course of this season. Uh, that he is one of those tough guys. He is also the coach on the court. He's the one that's delivering the coach's message, um, plays his ass off. Uh, Ideally, like you said, sixth man, first off the bench. Um, But I think he's a guy you just, you need to retain. He's been playing really well for at least a month. Yep. Right? Um, Defense can be a little lacking when he goes up against a, a pretty quick guy. You can see his, his defensive limitations, but absolutely. Um, Sebastian Mack is interesting. Yes. I think Sebastian Mack will be a really good college player. But. Um, big butt. Big butt. Well, I, I, I mean, so I think Sebastian Mack, take, him, take out the NIL factor. And if you're just evaluating for upside of as a college basketball player, you absolutely retain him. What could kill it is if Sebastian Mack comes back and asks for some ungodly amount of NIL. Where, like I said, you have he wants enough NIL to where it would get you another starter, starter level player. Then, then I think you can start questioning it. I don't know that he would do that, but this is what almost every single player does yeah i would assume he'll be asking for some nil Uh, my problem my my problem is um uh, yes that also um on floor uh, there was a brief uptick during the winning streak where his defense was better but i would say of the guys on this team it's probably him and burke who just do not seem like they're getting it defensively and uh haven't really ever it, it's, it hasn't really clicked at any point for them and that's the thing where you just don't know uh is it going to click 
um, and do his offensive contributions make up for that? Um, and that's, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what the vibe is when this is, I mean, uh, just full disclosure, I was kind of anti Johnny Juzang and then he led them to a final four. So I've got my little uh, biases against kind of volume shooting and, and um, you know, individual play on offense. But um, I don't know what effect that has on the rest of the team when he's just, okay, I'm going to go and, uh, you know, drive into three guys right now and, and try to throw up a wild shot. Uh, when it goes in, I'm sure it feels nice. When it's part of a big win, I'm sure it feels nice. But when it's happening in the middle of a game, uh, that's not those things. I just, uh, that's the part where I don't know. I don't know if he's, this is where I go into like fit stuff because I think he is a tough guy. I think he's got that aspect, but I don't know if he's a fit, like from a, what, how do you want a team to look? How does this, how does this thing function? If, if one guy's out there doing that stuff, then I worry about collective team buy-in. Yeah. Um, I, I think you got to think longer term, uh, like you said earlier, everyone just gets so caught up in the most immediate results that you're seeing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just look at how people develop. Is anyone has their, uh, oh, Name a UCLA player that was the same as a junior than he was as a freshman. Very, very, very rarely is there no development or just not development, but maturation. Uh, Sebastian Mack has checks a lot of the boxes of what you want on your team. He's kind of immature, focused defensively, decision-making offensively. Um, He's a scorer, though. He's leading the team in scoring. He, he is a score. He is a scorer. He does play hard. He is tough. These are the kind of things that when you're going to develop someone and and Cronin does need some guys to, to still develop. Um, he has the traits that I think Cronin wants to develop. I think he will grow, mature, make better decisions. I, I mean, Jules Bernard as a freshman was a mess. And he learned and he matured. Um, there are more instances where people, where players mature and get better. I, I think he, you keep him unless there's some outrageous NIL demand. Because we did posts and we did point guards and those are hard to find. Off guards and wings, easy to find. You yeah. can go into the transfer portal. I mean, I'm telling you, Sebastian Mack, I'm saying I think you have some tremendous upside. But just you are replaceable. They could go into the transfer portal and find someone who would be as good as Sebastian back next year. Would love to keep you because you know how to play under, you know what you're getting with Mick Cronin. There are a lot of advantages. But do not over uh, value your NIL. Yeah. Because right, you, can go, have- you can get any wings. We should rapid fire the rest because we got to get to football. So okay. I'm going to go through them. I'm yeah, go those them. because those were the four. Yeah. Bra- I Brandon can rapid. Lane. Well, first off, headline. I can rapid, rapid fire almost everyone. Just about all the other ones. Yeah. If you want to stay, you want to stay. If not, okay. I'll, I'll throw a little disagreement out uh, where I think you keep both of the Williamses. Um, and I don't think there's going to be high demand for them. So I don't think you need to. 
Look, yeah. if there's an NIL also demand, their delusion. Yeah, yeah, if there's any kind of delusion, then sure. But both of those guys, um, you know, the upside is considerable with Devin Williams, and then with Brandon Williams. Clearly, Cronin already likes his toughness. Clearly, he already has that aspect of it. So turning them into players does not seem. That seems like one of the bigger slam dunks in Cronin's developmental history at UCLA that those guys will turn out to be players. So keep them because you need developmental guys at the four anyway. Brandon Williams stays unless Rick Pitino comes in and offers him $500,000 to play back home. Right. Devin Um, Williams, I think, uh, take or leave. Yeah. If he wants to stay, great. And then I like what I've seen out of Adaimara the last, I don't know, month. Um, So... Keeping him I, I, because the absolutely. upside the upside is off the charts. If, if absolutely he gets it all together, completely agree. Um, and just to throw this in from what I've like we've told you, Adai Mara, we've heard wants to return. Here's a little bit of breaking news that the trend right now is that Berke Bayutunsel wants to return. Yeah, uh, kind of not playing like it right now, but he wants to return. Uh, but like Will McClendon, I like him. I do. I I, I think he's kind of a mid major plus player. He's playing at not his level. End of bench. Yeah, end of the bench if he wants to stay, but dang, no NIL there. Uh, I mean, you need to get some players with your NIL. Yeah. Jan Vide, Alain Fibloy, from what I know and just watching, they would be the most, the the biggest candidates to leave. Uh, Jan Vide is interesting because was hitting a wall early. Then he started to get some playing time, and it seemed like he started to play within the concept, feeding the post. The last few times he's been in, it just looks like he's hunting his floater mid-range. I would say last last night offensively, he played better. He was, once again, back within the concept, but defensively, he was a disaster. Um, Really? You thought that? I didn't think that at all. I thought thought he he was was hunting a a shot. He was trying hard to get the ball into the post. His first first possession, he entry feed, uh, but... The previous two stints, the previous couple of games where he got in, it was exactly what you said. Just, uh, I'm going to go get mine. And it was just no, nothing else. So you return, you return the key guys. Um, you go out and get two dogs, whether the, that's a, that's probably a scoring wing, right? A, a yeah. good, a good shooting scoring wing. And then anyone else. Uh, probably, probably a, a a face up four, you know, that's played, that's tough, that knows what it is to be a good college player, and then whoever wants to stay stays. Yeah, and yeah. and from what I'm hearing, they're going to have some nil money. Yeah, so well, Mick and, is uh, Mick is going to have the tools he needs to get what he wants more than likely with nil. Yeah, I think that's where I'm kind of landing. Retain seven or eight guys from this roster, and then, then shop. Um, and I think you're going to be in a pretty good shape going into next year. Okay, we should transition to football. Okay, Dave. That's my segue. You liked it? Sure. Yeah, there was no segue. When uh, you say transition, yeah, it works. Yeah, sure. <laughs> ooh, 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 transition. Um, yeah. Okay, so... Um, there haven't been any coaching announcements, uh, which is interesting, but, uh, Eric B is, uh, uh, very likely to be announced soon as UCLA's offensive coordinator. Um, we're, 
we reported it last week uh and it's now um looking like he will be the offensive coordinator next year uh he's the former uh running back from Colorado who was an assistant under Carl Durrell in the uh in the opening years of Carl Durrell's time at UCLA so the enemy uh coming in as the offensive coordinator we haven't talked since two weeks ago when this was just a possibility um what what's your take on this as an offensive coordinator you know i think it's there's upside and and downside um i i think the enemy has in his career has done enough where you would think he he should be able to bring a good scheme He's not. He's not not experienced. He has a good. He has a good playbook. Has to have a good playbook. Downside is, uh, we've always seen it. If you have not recently been coached in college and been successful, there's usually some kind of issue uh, with you then coaching again or coaching for the first time in college. So there's that. Um, I'm always skeptical. I'm always skeptical of a of a pro coach coming to the college ranks and just there's so many things to deal with. There's recruiting, there's now NIL, there's donors, there's uh, it's a lot. You just don't coach anymore. Um yeah. So I, I think it that's a lot. I don't know. I used to know Eric, we were friends. I don't know how he will do making that transition. I think it's human to, after being in the NFL for so long, to struggle to go back to college. Um, there have been things in his past, in his file. I don't know what to make of those. Uh, overall, I'm saying the OC hire could have been a lot worse. Could it have been a lot better? Other guys they would have taken, I probably would have had question marks too. There was no one that I just went flat out, fantastic, amazing, slam dunk. This is one. So I'm ambivalent. I shared this last week. I, I, I'm I've basically same thoughts as you, kind of mixed minds. What I'll say is the NFL experience, um, if you are pro Eric B. Enemy, has to be the reason you are pro Eric B. Enemy because his Colorado offenses in 2011 and 2012 were bad, bad, bad. Bad, 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 bad. Um, and yes, that was the John Embry teams. And yes, they weren't good in a lot of different ways, but those offenses were bad too. Um, and then he went to the Chiefs, spent a long time with the Chiefs, spent a long time with Andy Reid, spent a long time coaching Pat Mahomes. All of that has to be the reason that you're hiring him and has to be something that you think is going to translate at UCLA from an on-field perspective. Uh, because the college stuff is not something that's not good. Uh, but the, the pro stuff has to be the reason that you think this might be good. Now, recruiting is probably the reason I am most kind of like, yeah, okay, this could work out. I mean, he got Maurice Jones drew, um, and you know, he's, he's, he, he once had that kind of energy to do that. And the, uh, you know, kind of aggressive mindset to be, a good recruiter. Um, if that translates now, you know, 10 years, 12 years since he was last a college coach, then you can see some, some upside with this hire, but the hope has to be that he really, really, really learned something from Andy Reed, like really picked up some things 
and is ready to go uh, as a play caller and as an offensive game plan designer. And we're just going to have to sweep the commander's stent under the rug because it wasn't very good either. Uh, but I don't I don't follow enough NFL stuff to say that that was the enemy's fault or the fact that they have they had something called a Sam Howell as their quarterback. Um, I don't know, and I'm not going to speculate about that. It's not it's outside my purview, but it wasn't good. So based on a lot off of his stint with the Chiefs from an on-field perspective, and he's got some people saying some nice things about him. Andy Reid saying nice things about him. Mahomes saying nice things about him. But what you would expect. Yeah, I mean, uh, Mike Shanahan said nice things about Carl Durrell. Yeah. So, So, um, yeah, so that's that. Um, uh, I I, I have heard, I'm I'm not prepared to say I don't have enough reliable um, uh, information to co- absolutely corroborate, but I've heard that uh, the new offensive coordinator will have uh, an opinion on the OL coach and the wide receiver coach. Um, right now, it looks like Tim Drebno is going to be retained at this point, but I'm, I'm just saying there is a slight door ajar there. Uh, we've seen what's happening. We've reported on the wide, wide receiver that Jerry Neuheisel um, could be transitioned to tight end coach. Uh, that might be because the offensive coordinator wants his guy. That's generally kind of what you do. You want a wide receiver. You want your own wide receiver and your own L- OL coach. Yeah. Um, so that that's kind of where that stands. Uh, running backs coach, we have to admit, has not been mentioned. Really? Have to all. assume the enemy's going to handle it. You'd have to assume someone you're going to have to double up here. If you're going to get under the 10 on field coaching limitation, Yeah. Uh, Billy Fessler, who's the quarterback coach presently that um, Chip Kelly hired in January. We have heard basically he's been told that there would be a spot for him in the program. We just don't know what that might be because we have heard that Ted white, the former, former Texan, uh, um, uh, quarterbacks coach could likely be the quarterback coach. So, um, that's all the offense, uh, offensive staff. Defensively, we're hearing that a, a Kaika Malloy will be retained. Uh, I heard that Brian Norwood, the safeties coach, the intention was, uh, he was it was 50-50 with him whether he was going to be retained or not. And he and Deshaun kind of met and Norwood uh will be retained. Cody Woodfield, I reported a couple of weeks ago that he was being courted by other programs. I haven't heard anything since. I don't know if he still is or he's not. I'm just saying he's still there. Uh Akaka Malloy, like we said, is defensive coordinator. Um Will he help with the line uh, at practice or will he just be defensive coordinator? Tony Washington, when was he hired, Dave? December? Um, yeah. As defensive line coach, they need to hire a linebackers coach. We have heard that former UCLA linebackers coach Scott White uh, could be the serious consideration for that slot. That's kind of where it stands right now. We are just about a month out from spring practice. So there's a lot to do. You got to hire 
a staff. You need to put together, <laughs> you need to put together uh, a playbook. You need to then uh, come put together a plan of how you're installing your playbook. People keep, I hear this on the, on the uh, message board a lot. They're hoping that a lot of the offense is retained from last season. So there's an easy transition. I don't think there's ever in my experience and ex- where uh, a longtime offensive coordinator an experienced coordinator comes in to a situation and he doesn't immediately install his own scheme. Now there are some similarities because it's all football, right? But Eric Bieniemy is going to put in his own scheme. Let's let's just assume that. Also, um, the offense wasn't good last year. I think people are conflating 2023 and 2022, but it wasn't good. So yeah, I, I think they're thinking um, continuity in mm-hmm. the scheme is, is really highly important. Um, but I'm saying they got to bring the coach. I, you know, we've heard reports that he's, you know, he was spotted running around. Uh, the track at yeah. Drake Stadium. He's there. He's creating his playbook. It's going to be installed. They, that's what you do every spring anyway, is install your playbook. He's going to install his playbook. Um, I, I, overall, Dave, I think the thing that we have to watch, uh, you know, everyone's excited about about this right now. UCLA fans are trying to get behind it. There are either ones that are saying, yeah, you know, I want to be positive. Then you have the other ones who are, uh, who are, you know, cranks who are probably holding off on their crankisms just to try to give it some time. What we're here to do, Dave, is not really be either, but just give you a dose of reality and balance. Uh, what we have to look for in hiring the staff, I think, are red, red flags to watch for is just, in my opinion, cronyism never works <laughs> in hiring. Um, and then whether, and we've been talking about this for head coaches and now assistant coaches, if the, if the, if the hire is done for hype, um, where you can get behind it and hype it, Eric Bieniemy, luckily, you know, has some uh, coaching chops, but uh, you got to know a lot of this was because he brings a, the perception is that he'd bring a big name also to the program. So watch for those two things and whether when all of that is done, when the rubber hits the road, if the work is being done, if they're really working hard, if they're working in the best, the best test, are they recruiting? Are all these guys they they've offered, are they now recruiting them hard? Are they really aggressively calling them, getting after them, contacting them? You know, that's, that's where it is. Coaches can work hard at coaching a lot. Where you see if they're really doing their job fully is if they're recruiting hard. So let's watch for that. Let's let's just, to, you know, we could all be very happy that it turns out to be true that they're recruiting hard and that's an indication that they're coaching hard. But that's something to watch for. Let me say this. Um, okay. That needs to improve um, based on these first couple of weeks. Um just I'll put it baldly for everyone. Um, you should like at the beginning of a tenure where uh, the coaches are recruiting especially hard. Uh, you should see Biggins posting on the board, Huffman posting on the board, Blair posting on the board. Hey, talk to this guy. He says UCLA is on him really, really hard now, um, and they're going crazy. You're seeing offers, but you're not seeing that yet. 
and that needs to that needs to happen. Um, and I'm not going to draw any conclusions until probably when did we start saying, hey, there's some there's some red flags with Chip Kelly. June, I think it was heading into camp season. Yeah, no, we, yeah, we gave well the red flags in recruiting. We kind of we kind of were semi bought into his Talk approach strategy, and then then guys then weren't we, getting yeah. called in June. Yeah, uh, that's. So the question wasn't with the strategy, which eventually was, it was with the effort. Yes. And so that's, that's what we're going to be looking for. And I think right now, what I would say is based on the first, well, I mean, it's almost nearly a month now based on the first three weeks that needs to improve. Um, And hopefully it will once the staff gets settled, but that's already kind of a clear cut area of improvement. And related to that is how much the staff Deshaun Foster is working to generate NIL. Uh, the men of Westwood Twitter page is now doing booms. <laughs> so be watching. If if there are a lot of booms, things are happening. Uh, and also taking into consideration some of those booms are basketball. But um, be wa- that's kind of an indication too. Are they putting in the work? Is Deshaun Foster putting in the work to generate NIL money? Um that that's big too, because that's very much related to effort in recruiting now yeah. these days. So yeah, that those, while you can, the hype is good, you know, the new spring game, that's all great. Uh, putting Bruin walk back in, all of that is great stuff, but for it to really translate into results, be watching for how this staff is recruiting. What did we say going into the hiring process? The next 12 months of this job, all about recruiting and fundraising results on the field, not going to be good this year, recruiting and fundraising. And so that's what we're assessing. That's what we're going to be judging over the next several months. All right. That's it. We're done. Okay. All right. For Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online. We'll talk to you again next time. We'll see you. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire now streaming on Paramount Plus.